Welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We are three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird shit that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This Will Do Nicely. I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do with that freedom? Will you fight? Fight? Against that? No. We will run, and we will live. Aye. Fight, and you may die. Run, and you'll live. At least a while and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, I know that was pretty convincing, but that wasn't actually a sound clip of Mel Gibson. It was just me, Rory, with supporting actors, Chris and Johnny. I thought it was from 8 Mile. Yeah, I, well, I know my Eminem impersonation is pretty good these days, but uh, I was going more Australian. Maybe maybe if I had more of a like anti-Semitic or uh, you know domestic abuse allegation lilt to my voice, you would recognize it more. Oh, wow. You've really, you've really gone for a Merle. <laughs> <laughs> you tell her. I'm... He, he got cancelled in, like, 1995. What am I going to say? <laughs> Maybe today we should use our more Scottish names, you know, like Rory of Angus, Christopher of Irvin, Johnny the Naismith, you know. It's from a long, li- a long line of Naismiths. Of the, of the Naismiths. Have you, Johnny, have you ever looked up your name? I have an uncle who's very into the family tree. I haven't done it personally. And I think there's, like, an association of, I don't think... Naismith's obviously not a very original clan name, but I think oh, yeah. it goes back to like something similar. Somewhere. I'd like, I'd like to know. think it's someone's gone Naismith. What, like blacksmith? Aye, but nay. <laughs> well, it's it's funny you say that. The story that went around the family when we were growing up was that apparently, at some period in time somewhere, um, the details are sparse. There was a soldier fighting who took refuge in a blacksmith's, um, and the guy said to him. You know, I'll I'll protect you and look after you uh, as long as you work for me. And he, he was he was he was terrible as a blacksmith. And so the guy said, "You might be a soldier, but you're nay smith." <laughs> I would uh, I would watch that movie. It's it's probably about as historically accurate as uh, as Braveheart was. Yeah, I was gonna say like that's. I mean, it's 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 good that you've got this myth and legend around your name because that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about is. No, it's not going to be a history podcast. It's very much going to be a myth and legend. So today, obviously, we're talking about William Wallace. We're not going to just be talking about Braveheart the movie, but Braveheart the movie probably has as many facts in it as the Loch Ness Monster episode that we did before. Yeah. Like, it, it's bananas. William Wallace obviously existed, and he was an important character in the Scottish you know, folklore, but the movie itself i mean first of all i I know chris you've done the research into like the numerous historical inaccuracies but like first of all he wasn't even braveheart 
Yeah, well, that, the Bruce was brave. That, that's yeah. something that I uh, I didn't realize that before. I mean, I obviously knew that the film has always been hammered for being historically inaccurate. Um, I just didn't know until looking into this for the podcast how inaccurate and the very and the very fact that robert the bruce was in fact the braveheart and the fact that the film makes robert the bruce basically out to be the bad guy just yeah. double crossing yeah. and then for no reason doesn't really get resolved either it's just sort of a sudden at the end like spoiler alert oh you're the king now uh, <laughs> it's funny because i'm sure you'll tell us more about it rory but william wallace's story is quite interesting on its own Without all the historical embellishments, how, how much do you remember from school? Well, I, the only thing I remember is the the Wallace Monument. Yeah, I remember that was a school trip. It was a sort of fairly standard school trip for uh, certainly amongst Glaswegian uh, children mm. to to go to the Wallace Monument, uh, do Stirling Castle, and Bannockburn. And I think uh, we were when we went there, we were probably about nine. So I don't really remember all of it. Yeah, uh, it's a bit patchy, and I'm—I remember having to walk up a hill to get to it, and that <laughs> being a pain in the arse. Yeah, I think it wasn't—you know—the the warmest school trip we've ever been on, um, <laughs> and probably weren't paying attention that much to it. But we did do the history of it in in primary school. I wish we'd revisited it when we were older in high school, um, because it felt that we focused way too much on you know the world wars and i think it would have been nice to delve back into that when we were older and we were able to take in a bit more but yeah that's so, what that's what hollywood's for <laughs> yeah exactly the the you know the telebox will teach us what we need to know no i mean so a bit of background is that chris and i all three of us went to school together but chris and i also went to primary school which is like junior school is that right grade, grade school elementary school grade school and then Johnny joined us when we were like 11, 12 in what, we, what you guys would call high school. I, like in primary school, I remember like studying or doing at least school projects on like Mary Queen of Scots, on Robert the Bruce, on like kilts and the Highlands in general. Wallace, I remember the Wallace Monument. But like, Johnny, did you have to yeah, go to um, the Wallace Monument? I don't think we went in my school, actually. Like, I, I feel similar. I was slightly nervous coming into this one because I think my knowledge of Scottish history is pretty poor anyway. But thinking back, I mean, it was similar, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going to fill in all the gaps. Um, I I think we focused in, in secondary or in high school much more on European history and the wars and things like that. And my I just have this sort of general... No, well, you don't remember a lot. You you don't remember a lot of primary school because you were out your face and smack, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's been a problem. Yeah, that's a Mel Gibson embellishment if ever I've heard one. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I, again, I don't want to get like too much into the film. We're obviously going to reference it a lot, <clears throat> but like one of the one of the first things that I learned when like just digging into Wallace's life and the actual true history was that pretty much the majority of what we know is based on a massive poem written by a bard called blind harry Mm. i'm assuming have you guys heard of this guy i i heard about the poem i also was doing a little digging this week was surprised about how much of it is conjecture because you just sort of assume that it's all known and even though there's like critique of the film it was amazing to me of like we think it's, this is where he grew up and this is what he, and it's all a bit like 
probably, but who knows? That's the problem sure, with a lot of these historical figures, though. And yeah, uh, Scotland's no different. That these uh, folk heroes uh, get passed down from time to time. I, there's obviously better historical reference when it's a, a king or uh, someone in the church, for example. Mm. But I know that Wallace. I get again. It's very difficult to kind of extrapolate the movie from the yeah. fiction, but the movie obviously says that he. Uh, paints him as this peasant uh, warrior and we know that from history he wasn't a peasant he was a sort of minor noble who was trained in fighting um, but I think even then probably there I, I'd imagine at the time no one was really writing this down I mean nobody probably thought when it started like oh we should probably uh, get this dude just in case this guy turns out to be an absolute <laughs> legend <laughs> So the thing about the film that I think is most accurate is the scenes where there's people sitting around a fire talking like about the legend of William Wallace, about how he killed like 500 people and he cut through men like butter, that he was seven feet tall, all that type of stuff. Because I do Fire think coming he out is... of his arse. Exactly. I do think he's more of a, a myth and a legend. And I, I, I think that's still important. Important. He was a figurehead as opposed to like a truly influential historical figure. Um, and I also think, you know, that you can't help but think that, you know, the way that he was martyred at the end, spoiler alert, he dies. Um, I know he was born in like the 13th century, but he did eventually die. Uh, and he was martyred um, in London there's probably a chance that like the English put like, uh, and maybe this is my, you know, patriotism coming out, my xenophobia against the English coming out is that they, they probably put an effort into trying like squash all record of Wallace and not have him be spoke about because he was just through his sheer presence creating uh, this patriotic movement in Scotland, this independent movement. Uh, and he was a martyr and he was becoming bigger than the man himself he's becoming a legend so there's there's possibility i'm, I'm thinking yeah, that it's many definitely like i mean destroyed. The, old, the old phrase being that history is written by the winners and yeah. um, you know you can argue that wallace had his successes but he was ultimately crushed and he's 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 in an unmarked grave in uh the in london still i believe i don't think they've ever made an effort to figure out exactly where he is and yeah well, i mean was, look, wasn't he I, scattered across the country isn't that the point he was yeah. quartered oh, I and part, sent to sorry I, I thought part of his uh, remains were in an unmarked grave in london but you are right yeah part his his quartered bits were sent to parts of the country but i think uh, i might be wrong but i think the rest of him is somewhere in london right i mean his, his head was definitely like that was placed on london bridge so maybe it was his head that was put in the unmarked grave. Possibly. That yeah. would make sense. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, and I think, obviously we learned about it a bit in school, but that kind of tallies roughly about the same time that the film came out. So he's definitely, mm. kind, he became this larger than life character uh, because of the Hollywoodization of the myth. Yeah. And... But I but it was also like back when the the you know first ever Scot Scottish blues singer Blind Harry uh, wrote <laughs> his song about him. That's obviously part of him becoming a legend as well, becoming a myth. You know, that's that's the what like fourteenth century version of Braveheart. 
that's that story that he wrote that poem that he wrote yeah i guess so i mean it's a good story isn't it it's uh it is. the one man army like against the english yeah exactly so all right let's i'm gonna rattle off a few bits of you know as close as can be fact about wallace you know just from just you know gonna run through his life and then leading up to the situation in scotland at the time and then leading up to like how he eventually became the 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 rebel and then helping inspire the uh, independence but you know he was born i mean right from the beginning he was born around 1270 nobody's quite sure what year and what the date was he was born near glasgow like it could have been paisley it could have been air it could have been renfrewshire like a bunch of places claim they say that he was born into a landowning family his dad was a knight uh that he was well educated i didn't know he was educated in dundee which when i kind of think about it a little bit more he's like basically from glasgow and then was educated went to university in dundee like there's no wonder that he's just looking for a scrap the rest of his life like, <laughs> wasn't he's there just what, raised to get what, in a fight wasn't he also sent to europe uh at some point to uh learn various battle techniques yeah. and th- there wasn't was he not sent to rome or something like that for yeah uh, i mean there's talk r- of him actually traveling which is obviously referenced in the movie and then he, uh, there's a strong chance he did speak french and latin which is not uncommon for people high-born at the time and by high-born you're a landowner he wasn't necessarily a lord or his his dad wasn't necessarily a lord but like he was at least well educated and well brought up like upper middle class i would say went backpacking Um, to europe on his summer holidays (laughs) his gap yeah so when he was probably in his teenage years just to give a bit of background about scotland at the time and this was my favorite part i didn't know this as well it's one of my favorite parts but like uh, king alexander uh was the king of scotland at the time and he was in edinburgh uh so this was around 1286 so so willie would have been about 16 at the time uh, and and alexander had didn't have an heir yet and so he decided he was going to go home basically for a shag like he was going to go home and see his wife that night, and everybody's like, "You don't need to go home. You can stay here. You've got a castle in Edinburgh. It's fine." And then he was like, "No, no, no I'm going to do it." Takes a horse, rides from Edinburgh through uh, Fife, falls off a cliff, and dies. Oh my god! Apparently, he, yeah, yeah, he was so horny he didn't see where he was going, and he literally went yeah. off the cliff. <laughs> exactly. Like it's it's bananas. I had no idea about this. Like this, this the king of Scotland died because he was so desperate for a shag, uh, which I think is <laughs> makes a lot of sense. I mean, Scots usually kind of die in sort of weird circumstances, especially when they're on holiday <laughs> and they've had too much to drink and stuff like that. I feel like that's a sort of early thing of it. He's probably had some whiskey to kind of get his courage up, and he's you know treated the horse a little bit aggressively and the horse has just seen the cliff and gone, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex dies. He he leaves no heir. The next in line is like literally like an eight-year-old girl uh, and she is in, I think it was Denmark. Um, and she then dies on her way over to Scotland, like uh, a couple of years later, so in 1290, this little girl dies. She dies of like food poisoning or seasickness on the way. They're not 100% sure. 
Um, and so Scotland is left monarchless. Um, and when that happened, there's obviously like a bunch of people that can claim the throne. There's cousins and second cousins, everybody. You know, Robert the Bruce's grandfather at the time had a, a claim as well, all this type of stuff. So Scotland was in a bit of turmoil. Edward, King Edward I of England, uh, he was basically assigned by the lords of Scotland to, to appoint a king. Um, and he came up and made this guy John Balliol uh, king in 1292. And so that's kind of like the, the background of Scotland. Like I said, it's in a bit of turmoil. John why, Balliol. Why, did, why is, did the Scottish lords get the king of England, their mortal enemy next door? to come in and act as an administrator yeah. for setting up their own royal family. It's all... That's always going to end in tears. Right, exactly. That's what I thought as well. And I was just like, is it... I, that, so there's a whole thing about them wanting land in England. And it's a, a case of like, if they're favourable with him and maybe he's going to give them land, he's going to be favourable to, to them as well. And the relationship was not terrible at the time. When you say it was like mortal enemies, they weren't at that particular like, day trying to kill each other so he's all right, he like, was he's all right. as, yeah basically it was like okay he was seen as a independent adjudicator to come in and referee the situation but there's no doubt like john balio was he's known as like the weak king as the, the ineffectual king so they, edward brought him in just so he could then eventually kick up a fuss and try and take over scotland which he does but while this is all happening this is all kicking about, and and Wallace is he's basically a teenager rocking around Scotland. He's in Dundee, learning to to you know fight. learning his languages, learning to fight. Basically, so you uh, like, learn what to do in Dundee. You either go to the swimming swimming pool, or you learn to fight, or you have to deal with the startling teenage pregnancy statistics there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, still an issue back then, but it was less of a faux pas then. yeah exactly do you think Mardi Gras the clubs Mardi Gras and uh, what was the other one Fat Sam's were, were still there probably the the old timey version of them uh, yeah well Mardi Gras French isn't it and there was a strong Scottish and French um, you know relationship that's where it's the so old alliance I'd, I'd imagine yeah. that's part, part of it that's where Mardi Gras so Mardi Gras was a club that uh, Chris and I would go to when we were at university together we would travel 30 minutes, pay pay five pounds, get a free drink at the door, and a bus to Mardi Gras. It was terrible. I think the floor was really sticky, wasn't it? It's totally worth it. <laughs> it was our bannock burn. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's learning to fight, he's learning Latin and French and everything else, and this is where he becomes like the outlaw, and nobody is 100% sure how he did this like there's stories of him uh killing uh a young english the, the son of a constable uh basically get like shiving him getting in a knife fight in the street um there's stories of him killing english soldiers over some fish that he was poaching like again a lot of them come from this um blind harry uh story and so nobody's uh, 100% sure why he became what we'll call an outlaw. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say outlaw, because uh, it does it has kind of a lot of parallels to Robin Hood, doesn't it? Um, I mean, even down to the fact that they both had wives called Marion. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the weird stories is like, yeah, that he, and we'll, this is where he becomes 
the the rebel, if you will. Um, he also, I read somewhere, he was a very strong um, archer. I think his like seal or something had uh, a picture of an archer on it. Maybe I've made this up, but no, no. Just yeah, when you said true. Robin Hood, it, it reminded me that there was a lot of parallels. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a story of him killing a sheriff, which we know he did do over his wife who was apparently called marion and yeah johnny that's a good point like his seal wasn't had an archer on it Um, yeah now that you say that he also had a very large friend uh called (laughs) small jack and then he also (laughs) hung about with a pastor what i wonder if uh this is he wore a lot of tights and lived in the woods as well he hid in the woods yeah and um i believe he went off to the crusades and came back with morgan freeman he was also a, f- a very sexy fox for a, a large a large part of his life as well. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. So he was the outlaw. For whatever reason, he was an outlaw. He was a wanted man. And at this point, so we're in like 1296, which is, um, you know, John Balio has been king for a wee bit. And Wallace is the outlaw. He's want- He's a wanted man. And in 1296, Eddie of England invades Scotland because he's basically like, I'm already king of England. I want to take over the rest of Scotland as well. I want to, I want to, you know, rule the entirety of my island, uh, essentially. And so he invades. Um, there is a bit of a resistance against him, but ultimately he wins. He jails John Balliol, the current king, and then he takes the throne for himself. And England becomes an occupying force in, uh, in Scotland. And so the story is, again, if we're talking about the film, it, this part does kind of ring true. Uh, so in 1297, so a year after Eddie takes over Scotland, Willie is in Lanark visiting his wife, Marion, and his child, apparently. Um, and he's spotted by a couple of English soldiers. Obviously, they know him as an outlaw, so he likes it, runs away. But the sheriff of Lanark as punishment, takes Willie's wife and kills her. So Willie gathers his posse, breaks into the castle, uh, and then kills the sheriff and then slaughters every English soldier present. And that's what kicks off his part of the rebellion. So I don't know whether it's true or not. So the, it, it's all just a giant crime of passion, basically. Uh, or, well, more or less, he was already kind of an outlaw anyway, but he really raised the stakes when the Sheriff of Possibly. Nottingham. Sorry, I mean the Sheriff of Lanark. Uh, <laughs> uh, kills his wife. Yeah, potentially. Okay. So, um, so that then happens. Then what's the next step then? Right. So he then basically is on a tear. Like, if this is true, he's lost his family, he's lost his wife and his child. He's now, like, more than just an outlaw. He is the, the, the rebel in Scotland. There's nowhere that's safe. So he's like, fuck it, I'm going to go and, like, kick up a fuss elsewhere. And apparently he travels back over to Dundee and is like, I'm going to take back the town that I grew up in or, like, the town where I was educated. So takes his, his group of men, travels over to Dundee and lays siege to Dundee Castle. And at that point, that's when everything else is kicking off in Scotland. Because this is the thing, it's not just him that's fighting against the English. There's other battles that are happening. And it's just after, or kind of during the Dundee Castle siege, that he meets up with Andy Murray. The tennis player. 
Yeah, the tennis player Andy Murray. Had you guys? Did you guys know that Andy Murray was around back in the twelve nineties? Well, I'd assume that's why he's so grumpy. He's very old. <laughs> he's just very old just and fed tired. Up being that's around. why. He, that's why his hips been giving him so much bother for the last couple of years because he's seven hundred years old. So this is the thing. I'd never heard of this guy. So his name's Andrew Murray or Andrew Moray. When Eddie came through, came into uh, invade Scotland. Andy Murray and his dad and a bunch of other lords were the people that met him to fight against him in Dunbar. Andy Murray was essentially one of the initial rebel leaders, essentially. All those lords that fought against Eddie when he first invaded were taken to the Tower of London, except for Andy, who was taken to Chester Castle, which is just south of Liverpool. He then escaped, returned to Scotland, and then tried to take back Urquhart Castle, which, if we're looking for a connection to our last episode, is on the banks of Loch Ness. So, like, Andy's entire family grew up on uh, Avoch, uh, on the, the Black Isle, just on the north shore of the Firth that feeds into Loch Ness. So he essentially grew up next door to Nessie. The Firth, is this, this is the Firth of Moray, yeah? It's, yes, Mor- it's Moray, exactly. it's not exactly. Moray, yeah? <laughs> just, well, just clarifying he, that fact. Right, that's the thing. It's like it's like so many other names. Like if you dig into any family in Scotland, the names change very frequently. Um, his was Moray for a while, became Murray. There's like these different because they're all also named the same thing. There was like twenty five Robert the Bruce's. Yeah. There was something like four or five Andrew Morays and Murrays, um, and they changed the spelling of it. They changed the the way it was pronounced and all that type of stuff. But was there a Novak Djokovic back then? <laughs> so yeah, he was kicking off the rebellion. He'd already fought Eddie back when he first invaded. He escaped the castle, goes back up to try and like essentially liberate his own home up in Loch Ness. And then that's when Eddie sends his second army in to kind of shut down the rebellions that are happening in Scotland at that time. And it's that rebellion that Eddie sends up to fight against, not Wallace's that's happening in Dundee. So in the film, you know, it's basically like William Wallace is running around, kicking up a fight, uh, kicking up a fuss. And then he's like, well, we're going to have to shut down this rebellion. It seems like they didn't give a shit in England what he was doing. He was just a pain in the hole, whereas Murray was the problematic one. So I just want to make sure I got it clear. So right now there's... Murray, Murray, whatever you want to call him, and Wallace are separate. They... <laughs> <laughs> so Wallace is somewhere causing trouble and starting some sort of uprising, and yeah. Murray is doing similar but not in the same place. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So there's multiple rebellions happening in Scotland at the same time because they've been under English rule for a while. Nobody's happy about it. Everybody's a little bit pissed off, blah, blah, blah. So Eddie sends up his army to try and quell the rebellions and that's where they then feed towards Stirling and that's what leads up to the Stirling Bridge battle. So when do, when do the, these little disparate groups all kind of join up together? Is that for is At that this Stirling? point. Right. Okay. Right here. So they meet in the middle of Scotland. So like uh, if you're looking at a map, uh, Dundee is on the east coast, kind of central Scotland. Um Murray is in Loch Ness, which is northwest. Uh, they come down and meet in Stirling, which is kind of 
central Scotland, right? It's almost yeah. slap bang in the middle, pretty much. Um, and it's one of the few roads that goes north. So if you were traveling north to go and meet and fight in Loch Ness, you would have to go uh, over the, the Stirling, uh, like path through Stirling, over the Stirling Bridge. So Andy Murray and Big Willie meet and have their doubles match against Eddie and his army. <laughs> Edward's not there. Um, but this is the whole one of the other problems with the film is because like they didn't even have a bridge during the story. This is I the mean, first battle a, that happens. It's, a, it's a fairly major <laughs> plot point, isn't it? The, the Battle of Sterling Bridge doesn't have a bridge in the film. And I just don't get it because if you read about the history of the bridge... And, and and what they do to take out the English is quite impressive. And this is why I keep going back to after watching the film again. I don't know why they changed so much because a lot of William Wallace's story is actually really interesting. And it's quite, you know, interesting battle tactics and things like that. And yeah, because actually like the, the English king, right, one, like sort of wanted to fight traditionally and the bridge sort of played a role in making that not happen, which served them well because they were very... You know, yeah, and if numbers. the film's to be believed in the Scots, all they do is basically flash their genitalia at the English and then <laughs> charge at them after taking a few arrows. And it's like, that's not quite how it went down, guys. You're not really giving us much credit here. We're not a bunch of savages. Well, maybe yeah, we are, that, I don't, that, I don't know. <laughs> but I, 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 exactly, like we were outnumbered and, you know, the English had better equipment. And so the only way we could beat them is essentially through tactics. And that's where the bridge came in. They, they funneled them onto the bridge. They let a certain amount across and then they, they slaughtered them. They essentially surrounded them, slaughtered them. Uh, and then so much so that the English had to destroy the bridge and retreat. It was a humiliating defeat, but it was... And I kind of really kind of just glossed over the tactics there, but that was essentially what they did. But there's a strong, and I don't want to shit on William Wallace because he's like a huge character in Scottish history and he's still, you know, a, an amazing legend. But like, there's a strong argument to be made that the only reason that they fought that was because of Andy Murray, not the tennis player. Um, the His mum. Because his, I mean, she is a fierce coach. <laughs> but like, the. Um, that he was apparently the better tactician, that he was more experienced in battle, that he was the one that helped them win that. But unfortunately, he was wounded in battle during the Stirling battle, um, and so much so that he very quickly died. And and it's it's unclear exactly when it was, whether it was during battle itself or soon afterwards. But like they basically came away from that with with an outstanding victory against the English. Um, and then Murray died. And that's just to when... go back to your earlier point, Rory, that you talked about how Wallace might have been airbrushed out of history. Um, perhaps if Murray, Murray was no, no, no. You said Wallace uh, in the or this earlier in the podcast, oh. uh, the English when you know talking about him dying and things. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. Then maybe yeah. that's what happened to Murray. I mean, it could also be that you know Wallace's uh, PR and spin doctors thought like now's an opportunity for you to really get your brand out there, Willie. Just become <laughs> become the guy of Scotland. But it could be that you know if it was Moray that was responsible for the Stirling Bridge success, maybe the English just thought 
let's uh let's gloss over this guy yeah it could be and it's hard to tell a story you know in a epic tale and then just throw in this character for a wee bit and then take him away but he was potentially better than wallace as a fighter and a tactician and all that type of stuff like i get it i do totally get it it's just interesting like i'd literally never heard of him until i was doing this research and that's like he is arguably as important if not more important in the battle of sterling which is something that we do learn about in school yeah so after this you know andy andy murray gets a you know career-ending injury during this battle um and then Willie basically goes i i also didn't know this i know what happens in the film but i i guess i didn't really pay attention or didn't quite register it but he invades england William Wallace takes his army, takes his group, and then goes and invades England. And yeah, I but just the film was... the film makes it out to be that they get as far as York, and that is not true either. No, they only go to like Cumberland and Northumberland, which are basically not even as far as Newcastle. But Sc- is... Scotland and England have been doing that for hundreds of years. They've been going back and forth yeah. over the border areas all the way to Newcastle, uh, yeah, and back. I mean. Look, every pretty much every Scottish person has gone on a lads on tour. They've tried to make it to Newcastle. Newcastle turns out to be a fucking nightmare. Uh, they Newcastle's drink too, too much, ha- and too they, hard to handle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then they get beaten up and have to go home. I get it. Like I totally understand it. Trust it's me. happened to me every time I've gone to Newcastle. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot of fun for a night out. But Johnny, it's have not you worth ever it. Been? Not worth it. I think I have been. I remember the uh, what's that place? The Metro Centre that's got like a sort of indoor tiny roller coaster in it. Yeah, oh, that's actually that actually dates uh, to the 1300s. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a lovely city, great football team. Um, so basically, yeah, they go in, they invade England for a wee bit, and then essentially, like rain halts play. They get to December, and the weather's too bad. And this is the thing, like. All of this happens in less than a year as well. So, like, the invasion um, is in, like, 1296. And by 1297, they've had the Battle of Stirling. Andy has been put in prison, escaped from prison, gone back. They both started the rebellions. They've had the Battle of Stirling. And then uh, Willie invades England. And so December, he returns back. And that's when they knight him. Which is also weird because we don't have a king at this point or a queen, uh, but he still gets knighted. But and then they, they they class him as the guardian of Scotland, which is essentially like the closest we would have to a king at the time. Um, it's like a caretaker manager when uh, the manager's been sacked with six weeks to go, uh, and you don't want to get the new one in, but you know you keep him in and just to stave off relegation. Yeah, that's Wallace, that's Wallace is at the wheel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He's been makes uh, him really good assist- defensively. They can't score a goal, but they're also really tough to beat. He's been assistant coach for most of the season. Now you just need him to finish out the season for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's exactly. That's pretty much exactly what happened. Uh, so he comes back, hangs out in Scotland for a wee bit, and then Eddie who's like so the battle of sterling eddie wasn't there he was in france doing his thing in france basically trying to basically take over france and he then comes back to england finds out about this rebellion is obviously pissed off and then goes to scotland himself and this is the second battle in the film this is the battle of falkirk 
and this is a nightmare for Scotland, basically. Uh, this is a few months after Willie's been made Guardian of Scotland. Um, Eddie turns up with a proper army, and they just basically get destroyed by the longbows. And the Scottish cavalry... So you see in the film, the Scottish cavalry basically abandon William Wallace and leave him to the battle. The same thing happened in real life as well. They just buggered off. Uh, and nobody quite knows why, if it was to do with potentially they saw that the battle was such a nightmare that they had to leave him, or if it was, you know, they were bribed or whatever. What didn't happen was Robert the Bruce was dressed up as an Englishman and then betrayed him for God knows what reason. Yeah, can we get on to... How do how does Robert the Bruce get tangled up in all of this in in real life, rather than just be this creepy little side character that's got a leopard dad that uh, is trying to figure out whether he wants to be either Scottish or English? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, so again, it's complicated because every Bruce going back centuries was called Robert the Bruce, but his granddad wanted to be king and had a decent claim to the the the, the throne. Um. He, his dad uh, was just basically after land and was like relatively quiet, was relatively pally with, with Eddie, um, fought in some of the battles. They were there for the initial invasion. Uh, there was a battle of Irvin, in fact. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Your, your homeland. And um, they, he was there. That one ended up in no fight. They basically agreed not to fight and then went That's home. how I uh, approach my mantra. I'm a lover, not a fighter. So that's yeah. not surprising. You get by on your wits, not don't, your fists. Don't fancy it. <laughs> that's, that's essentially what happened. Not today, lads. Let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, a bit, it's a bit wet. Andy Murray, William Wallace, and Robert the Bruce were all born pretty much the same year. Um, They're all of similar age. So I think he kind of grew up hearing about them. And not necessarily as a kid, but in his later years as the outlaw, as a rebel, and all this kind of stuff. And probably was just a bit jealous of them. And was just always on the sidelines. And I think that's that's all it was. So it was not until, you know, again, spoiler alert, Willie dies that then Robert takes over and is like, I want to be King of Scotland. Also, fuck the English. Also, we're going to like go on this rampage around the whole of Britain fighting everybody. And I do eventually want to get into a, story, a, a podcast specifically about Robert the Bruce because, like I said, he's one that we learned about more in school. And I think we know a little bit more about him. He is more prominent. He is the one that eventually gives true independence to Scotland, at least for a while. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to do that because I think you, they merge together too much for me in my mind. So, mm. uh, and I yeah. I remember more about William Wallace than I do about Robert the Bruce from school. But I know again we, because I know of the film. Did. Yeah, again because of the film, and I know that they've done this um, film that Chris Pine is in, which I haven't seen yet. I'll probably have to watch that, but I hear that's quite good. Yeah, um, that's definitely worth a watch. And that's how I learn my history these days. You know. There's no point in reading. <laughs> yeah, Netflix. No. Didn't they make a Robert the Bruce film with the same actor from they, Braveheart? I I read about this. They said they said they were going to. I don't know if they've actually done it yet. I think back in 2018, it was still in the process of being done. Oh, I, I don't know if it, they've actually done it. It's it's out. I just don't think it's very good. So they've kind of pretended it doesn't exist. Angus <laughs> Angus McFadden is the the man uh, who was Robert the Bruce. 
in Braveheart and then Robert the Bruce in his own film just last year or the year before. It's it's a, it's a stupid wow. idea though because they make him out to be such a little weasel in the uh, first film that no one wants to watch it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, he's um, hard to back in that film, which is a shame because this, the real story is quite compelling, right? Yeah, he goes on a. Uh, I will again. We'll get into it in another episode, but like he goes on a rampage. The the reason that they call him Braveheart is because he on his deathbed he convinces a bunch of lords to cut out his heart and take it on like a killing spree around Europe. Doesn't someone wear it in a like hanging around their neck? Have yeah. I imagined that? Yeah, we <laughs> get a bit smelly like after a, cycle. a while. I know. How'd you preserve that? Yeah. So many God, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to be the intern that has to do that at the back of the uh, cavalry. <laughs> Horrifying. Get the coffees in and make sure that that heart doesn't drop on the ground. <laughs> you guys can have uh, my liver. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Where do you want us to take it? Just then, just somewhere. Somewhere nice and quiet. <laughs> Take it on a quiet Spread retreat. It. Spread it on some crackers. <laughs> so that's the thing. So, and this is the part again. Part of the problem with the movie is that like it peaks very early on. It peaks at that speech just before the battle of Stirling Bridge without a bridge, and then from then on, it's just a series of failures, unfortunately. And after Falkirk. Willie disappears to France. Apparently, he was trying to get the French to join their side to fight against the English, which shouldn't have been that hard, considering the English had been fighting them for a, a while at that point. This, but this it, is going to was... be a bit of a theme that uh, Scotland regularly makes overtures to the French uh, throughout history. It's just like, come on, look, those English guys—they're arseholes. Why don't you come with us? And the French like <laughs> nothing like a nothing like a common enemy to bring people together. <laughs> yeah, everybody hates the English. That's just a common theme of history. I am uh, <laughs> forever having a cigarette. <laughs> I will get there when I get there. <laughs> this is why they keep killing you. If we join together, the English won't kill you as much. I am on me, my lunch. It is not a problem. <laughs> so uh, the the blind Harry story while well, he's in France is apparently amazing. He's got him like running around assassinating English people. He's got him like fighting gladiator style. There's a point where he cuts a lion in half. Like it, it's just nonsense. Um, but Willie spends a, a couple of years there in France. Comes back to Scotland, I think, again to try and kick off the rebellion and fight for independence, and is almost immediately betrayed by one of his mates in Glasgow. Uh, and that's when he gets arrested by the... So, again, in the film, for whatever reason, it's essentially Robert the Bruce that betrays him. That doesn't happen. It's some other guy. Um, it is a, another lord, but it's not him. Um, he, oddly enough, so I was looking up where he was, and it's in Glasgow, and I was trying to figure out where it was because, obviously, the three of us grew up in Glasgow. And it's Rob Royston, which is, like, northeast of Glasgow. It's just you know small suburb and i was i couldn't rem i know i'd driven through it before and I'd been through it but it was relatively small i couldn't remember anything about it so i googled it google maps the only photo of rob royston is a mcdonald's car park and so, I was just like, so it was there that's, that's where, where it happened it, i think that's where rob where william wallace was betrayed was in a mcdonald's car park yeah so i wonder if mark that's our yeah. memorial spots right Build a McDonald's oh, no. there. 
if that's why they call it a Big Mac, because Mac is Scottish, and Wallace is the biggest that's, Mac of all. That's a good. That's, I think that might yeah. be it. In in reverence to William Wallace and the betrayal. Yeah. So <laughs> so anyway, he he he's picked up by the English. He's taken to London, and he stands trial for basically everything. And it's like treason, murder, various atrocities. Because apparently, like. He did pretty horrible things when he invaded England, which makes sense because at the time that's what like everybody was doing. The English were doing it when they're in Scotland, and so on. There's a point where he skinned a guy alive, apparently, and turned his skin into a belt. You don't really know what's true and what's fact and what's fiction here. So uh, the point is, he stood trial, and he was oddly enough found guilty. And the de- the depiction in the film does seem pretty apt or pretty accurate because he was hanged for a bit he was castrated he they pulled his guts out they eventually cut off his head and like you said like they quartered him sent bits of him around britain and then they they put his head in like tar and then hung it from the the london bridge they made a display out of him they made a, a message out of him essentially yeah, I've heard even that the, the uh, depiction in the film is actually quite tamed <laughs> to what happened, and um, it's, uh, it's it's quite a way to quite a way to go, isn't it? It sounds mm. horrific. I think, but I think that's the misstep by Edward. It was by making it such a display. Like it was literally there was a like a, a festival going on that day. It, his execution kicked off a festival uh, in London that day. So. By making it such a display, making it such a big deal, the news of it spread quickly. And instead of, you know, turning the Scots against, you know, turning the Scots, uh, you know, to to stop fighting the English, it just galvanized them more for independence and for revenge. Essentially, turned turned Wallace into a martyr. Into legend. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, those English—they never learn, do they? No. Exactly. But like, and that's it. Like it was again in the film a few years later, it's about like 10 years later, Bruce takes up the fight and he fights against the English and eventually gains the the crown and, and green gains independence for Scotland. But that is, like I said, something we want we should talk about another time. But I don't know, like, I don't want to keep referring back to the film, but it's it, it does get me. I can't help but being Scottish, I can't help but watch it and feel incredibly patriotic at times and just like English bastards. Yeah. I, I, John Johnny and I actually watched it the other day together for my birthday. It was a it was a nice evening. It was. I I mean I've seen it a few times and it every time it surprises me how long that movie is. <laughs> so long. I so I watched it last night with my wife and I think she'd seen it before, maybe when she was younger, but she didn't remember any of it. And we had the same reaction that it, like, it does get you do get galvanized during the the crescendo of the the battle and the speech and stuff. But the rest of it is it's just so plodding and just mm. it goes nowhere for it's it's three hours long. It's so indulgent. The first thirty minutes is just Wallace as a kid and. It, oh my god it, it could be about 90 minutes long and it would be this epic action oh, yeah. movie amazing I mean Americans obviously know Wallace purely because of this and and it won 
Best Picture at the Oscars. It won five. <laughs> it won. It won five Oscars. It, it Mel Gibson. It's bananas. Mel Gibson won Best Director for that as well. I mean, just I, look just to just to kind of get into it from some of the other films that were on that year. So The Usual Suspects was uh, w- was one of the films that year and didn't even make it into the top five for the best pictures. Um, like, does it make me unpatriotic that I'd rather watch Usual Suspects now than watch I mean, Wallace, like watch Braveheart? I, I don't know. I mean, like other films, like they had Apollo 13, which I would say still holds up and is a great film. Um, that was one of the best. Babe, amusingly, was one of the <laughs> best pictures. It's a phenomenal <laughs> film. But yeah, phenomenal. I mean, it got a sequel. Braveheart didn't. It's a talking pig. How did they? How did yeah. they train that pig to talk? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. He should have won best actor. <laughs> what, I mean, what least. a year for filmmaking! Unbelievable. Um, the, 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 like the one that I keep. St- I mean, there's a bunch of good films on here, and I, I haven't seen all of them. Like Nixon, Twelve Monkeys, Rob Roy. Uh, Bridges of Madison Wait, Rob County. Roy and, and Braveheart came out the same year. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Um, oh wow, that's weird. Uh, what else? Uh, Leaving Las Vegas. Um, the one that I and I keep stumbling on is Toy Story. Toy Story came out, and that's kind of a seminal. People, yeah, I mean, it's completely changed a genre of uh, of films. You know, Pixar is is its own kind of thing now. Oh, like sorry. One of the biggest companies in the world. Yeah. I've just noticed Batman Forever was also out that year, and how that didn't end up winning Best Picture, I'm <laughs> not quite sure. That seems to that seems to be an oversight. Else, so it was Best wait, Picture. Wait, and what else? Best Director. It, it won five Oscars. It won Best Picture, Best Director, um, Best uh, Best Cinematography, which is fair enough. Uh, best Makeup. That's, again, that's which, just Scottish landscape that was just made. Surely it best the. It's just the surely hilt. the um, soundtrack must have won something. It won best sound effects um, edit, right. best sound effects editing. I actually found the sound really irritating last night. Kept having to change the volume. I don't know what won best. Uh, I don't know. What I, won, oh, I, best song. Poca, I, Pocahontas was out that year, so Pocahontas won best song. Right. Yeah. I I was li- like listening to the the Sterling Bridge battle with a bridge speech. Uh, over and over again today, uh, you know, just get myself psyched up, just get really into it. Um, and all I could, all I could hear after a while was the noise of the horse that he was riding. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember, but the horse is going mental. It's yeah. like he has no control over it, and it's yeah. just like, yeah, and he keeps spinning back and forth. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> the just horse imagine getting... like, just keep rolling, just keep rolling. We'll get it eventually. Yeah, also, the, right, that's irritating that he wins Best Director and he's on screen for two and a half hours of the three-hour film, so he can't be directing himself for anybody else. Whoever whoever the assistant director was deserves that Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I read an interesting thing that said they he tried to get it funded by Warner Brothers and they said they'll do it if you'll sign on for another Lethal uh, Weapon sequel. <laughs> and he was like, nah, I'm all right. And like, I think find funding elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean, fair fair play to him for doing it and it has turned into this iconic film but it, it i i would argue that it's very much not deserved uh the and i and i and i think going back on it it you it doesn't hold up uh so, some of the scenery does i think and the shooting does but you know the, the person like, that wrote it was called wallace i think they yeah, basically started I, the guy like, that, was yeah. researching his his ancestry and then found, like came across the story and started to write about it. 
Yeah, I also some... found out that it it made um they like attributed the like rise in tourism to like something like from seven million the years before to like fifteen million in revenue in Scotland, like following wow. the film. Oh, I, I could bonkers. totally see people yeah. watch the film and think, like, this is great. We've got to go and see it. And most of the film's shot in Ireland, isn't it? It's not even shot yeah. in Scotland. I so, love it, is it? Uh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> disturbing. Do you know the other last? I know it's, it's hard not to just talk about the movie, but like, I read when I was like looking into this, I just found myself in this black hole of like reading about the film. And this, at one point in, in like 97, they put up a statue of. Yeah, um, <laughs> of Mel Gibson as William Wallace in Sterling, like, and then it all it got like attacked and then defaced and all this. It's probably just amazing. I, I'm trying to think of any film, and I was thinking trying to think about this today that any film that had muddled history so much than than Braveheart has. Like, uh, you know, we, there, there's numerous historical movies that are made, or, or movies that are made based on historical events. But I can't think of anything that people watch and are just like, that's what happened. That's definitely what happened. I think, I mean, subsequently, Mel Gibson has given interviews over the years saying that he wasn't trying to be, you know, super historically accurate. But I think that's a bit disingenuous. I think at the time it was presented as such. And even Tartan wasn't a thing for about another 300 years. Uh, nor, Nor was the blue face paint. It's just all taken from different parts of Scottish history and just put in this melting pot and they come up with this at the end and it wins the best Oscar. It wins the best picture. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'll, I'll take the, I, I'll honestly take them as saying like, we weren't trying to make it historically accurate. We were just trying to make a fun film and that's fine. What I'm confused at is how literally everybody, including a significant portion of Scotland were like, this is the history, this is what happened, and this is who Wallace was. They take it as fact. It's really, like, that's what surprises me about it. I do think Wallace was just a myth and a legend and all that type of stuff, and then they made a story about it, and yeah, he he fudged a lot of the facts, and he took a lot of it from Blind Harry, but, like, why does that film usurp every other, like, source? It's just bizarre to me. It's got to be just Hollywood marketing. They've I guess. marketed it to the nth degree, and you know Scotland's probably thought, uh, "Yeah, we could use the tourism here. <laughs> Why not? Let's do this. <laughs> Let's milk it dry." And um, <laughs> and the notion of Scottish independence obviously is still a very powerful uh, thing in Scotland, and it's and it's useful for political purposes to to sure. use that. Um, but it's just a totally. Yeah, as you said earlier, and it sums it up well. I think there's more fiction in this than the Loch Ness monster for a lot of it. <laughs> uh, all right. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to go over? Anything else that we missed? Um, no. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about Robert the Bruce. I think that that'll be good. I think there's a lot more I don't know there. So, uh, yeah. just for list, any listeners that that may or may not that may be listening to this, just think that. <laughs> he wasn't just a one-man band and Robert the Bruce wasn't a complete jackass. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Johnny, any any last thoughts? No, I um, it's good. I, I, I found out more than I thought I might find out in even a little bit of research on this, so um, it's good. Yeah, go on. I guess this is a good a good example that like don't take 
you know, a Hollywood film as fact. Maybe go and do your own little research. I check mean, out a couple of other the, the historical inaccuracies on this are, are very well researched online, and it was a lot of fun reading it because people are clearly get as animated as we do about it. <laughs> uh, but you know, it depends if you want to approach it with a pinch of salt or if you think that it's a historical document. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he was he was an incredibly important figure in Scottish history. He helped galvanize the Scottish Wars for Independence. He was a legend that lasted, you know, way beyond his lifetime for for centuries. Literally, I mean, we're still talking about him now. We he was brought up and, and a big figure during the Scottish Independence vote uh, recently. Like he he is very much the epitome of the man the myth and the legend okay so i think that's it for today um all right this will do lads this will do nicely Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a couple more things. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all other podcasting apps. You can email us at thisalldonicelypod at gmail.com. Visit the website thisalldonicelypod.com. Visit us on Twitter at thisalldopod. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore loves hugs and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod.